Welcome to the Veiled Christian Church Podcast. In our series, Raid the Darkness, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Look at the Bronze Snake. Join us in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. At Veiled Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. I'd like you to take your Bible out and turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 3 today at the beginning of the chapter. You can also, if you want, because in most Bibles there are two of those little silky bookmarks, right? You can also turn to Numbers chapter 21. You can just put that little bookmark there. We're going to go there as well. Just uh, by way of reminder today, um, there are... A lot of reasons why John writes this gospel. Obviously, um, he goes about it a little bit different than the other gospel writers. And I I think God utilizes him a little bit different. And he has um, some thinking and that I think is highly connected to just that first chapter and some things that he lays out. But where we are today, I, I, I want to bring you back to something that I think is really important, that there is a chapter break, right? But at the end of chapter 2, and then it starts chapter 3, there's a break with the numbers and, and all that kind of thing, and there's a system there. But it, it breaks it, uh, it's not meant to be broken up like that. It, it really isn't the way John wrote it. He didn't put a chapter break in there. The verses and the chapter breaks obviously help us navigate the scriptures and try to find some things. I think that they're really good in in tons of ways, but also I think it also distracts us and gets us focused in a myopic way at times when we shouldn't, keeping us from looking at the big picture sometimes and keeping us from connecting all the thoughts um, that John has. So, Um, I think it's my job to help us navigate uh, through that. So we're going to start in uh, chapter 3 and read through uh, a number of verses there. But let me just kind of review a couple of things and set this up a little bit. Because we're going to talk about a guy, a person is featured in chapter 3. His name is Nicodemus. So we'll talk about him uh, quite a bit. But it's actually kind of strange, I think, that what you're going to see here is Before Nicodemus can even ask Jesus a question, Jesus answers this question. (laughs) He doesn't actually let him answer it. And there's a reason for that. And I think it has to do with this chapter break that really shouldn't be there. It's not supposed to be there anyway. And so before Nicodemus can state his reason for coming to Jesus at night and asking him some things. Jesus declares something that's really necessary for Nicodemus. He declares the necessity of being born from above. Now, I'm using this word born from above. It is the New English translation of maybe a phrase that you are familiar with, born again or reborn, all right, transformed, being made new, rebirth, right? I like the born from above terminology. I think it's a little more accurate. But um, the context is really important here, right? Because last week we saw that in chapter 2 in verse 23, we saw Jesus was at the Passover in Jerusalem. 
And many people believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. All right. Then um, we get into uh, chapter three. So let's look at chapter three. We'll just read it. I'll probably make some comments along the way because I'm not going to be able to stand it. Okay. Here we go. uh, Verse one in chapter three. Now a certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus replies, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born from above, there's that phrase. And there's some notes there, you know, and in the net translation and other places, you can look that phrase up for yourself if you would like. Unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? And Jesus answers him, I tell you the solemn truth, Unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must all be born from above. The wind blows wherever it will, and you hear the sound it makes, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus replies, how can these things be? Jesus answers him. Now Jesus has a sort of, it's kind of a sarcastic tone, all right? It sounds kind of funny that Jesus would be sarcastic. Sarcasm is not actually a good quality for, you know, people like us. Jesus wields this in a way to where I think it's important. So uh, Just because he's sarcastic doesn't give you permission to be sarcastic, okay? That's my point. But he does have a snarky comment here. And you get to see, right, what it is. And I I think it's key here. I I, I think it's actually really key here. So, so, So watch him as he says this. How can these things be, Jesus says? Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things. I mean, you've read the scriptures like crazy. You've studied them like crazy. You're very, very proficient in the scriptures. And you don't understand these things? Verse 11, I tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen. But you people do not accept our testimony. If I have told you people about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And we'll just stop right there. Now, goodness, there's some stuff in here, all right? And, 
And what I want you to see is from verse 23 in chapter 2, what Nicodemus says then when he comes to Jesus in verse 2 of chapter 3. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is a part of the people in chapter 2, verse 23. They're impressed enough with um, Jesus' miracles to believe that he is somehow from God. But then in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 2, they explain, it explains Jesus' response to Nicodemus' affirmation of faith. Go back, just look at verses 24 and 25, and watch this. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He did not need anyone to testify about man, for he knew what was in man. Now, we went through that, and I'm not going to go re-preach that from last week. But what does this mean? What did Jesus know about these so-called believers? What did he see in them that caused him to hold back and not give himself fully to them? The answer is given in the next verses as um, one of these believers comes to Jesus at night, Nicodemus. He's a part of that crowd that John is pointing out there in verse 24 and 25. What did Jesus know about the Nicodemus type people who only believed in Jesus as a wonder worker, a miracle worker? He knew that they weren't born from above. They were not reborn. There was no rebirth in their life. So the reason Jesus doesn't even need to wait for Nicodemus to ask a question is, as chapter 2, verse 25 says, he knew what was in man. He knew what was in Nicodemus's heart. He knows it all. He knows everything. He knows what's in your heart and what's in my heart. He knows. You can't hide it. You can pretend, but it will do you no good. You can pretend in front of anybody and everybody else except Jesus. There's no pretending with him. He can see right into your heart. Wow. That's kind of scary. And last week we talked about how that's actually really awesome at the same time. So here it is, Nicodemus at night. He comes to it at night. I don't know. Why at night? Why at night? Worried about what everybody might think? Scared about what everybody, you know, he's trying to investigate. He doesn't want everybody to know. He may not know stuff. Here's a guy who's supposed to know everything and knows all. He's the teacher of, you know, and Jesus just goes right to that, right? Why come to him at night? Well, not everybody's going to be knowing that you did it. Now, <clears throat> I'm actually okay with this. You know, in, in, in some ways, I, just, I got some questions and I'm a little embarrassed about my questions. I'm a little unsure. I'm a little insecure. I want to be careful because just like Jesus said, you're the teacher of Israel. You're supposed to know stuff. All right. 
So I kind of like this. So Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, comes to Jesus at night. He says in verse 2 that Jesus is a teacher who's come from God. Jesus bluntly responds in verse 3, I tell you the truth, right? Let me speak some truth in your life. Unless a person's born from above, he can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus wonders whether a man can enter into his mother's womb again and be born or reborn. Jesus says in verses 5 through 8, it's all laid out, right? He's, he's, he, Jesus answers that he's, that, that he's talking about spiritual birth and that unless you experience it, you're never going to enter the kingdom of God. He's talking about spiritual birth. You'll never be reconciled to God. You'll never be forgiven. You're, you're on your way to, you, you, you're, you're, you're not on your way to heaven without this. Then he adds that the spirit of God is the one that causes the new birth, not man. And the spirit is as free as the wind in the way he does it. You know, you can't really see it coming or going. I mean, you can feel it. And there's things that you can observe about the wind. In verse 9, Nicodemus is still at a loss. He has not connected the dots, has he? He's in the dark. How can these things be? How many people you know that are in the dark like this? Maybe you are in the dark. The world is blind to this so much. So many people... Do not get it, right? Isn't that crazy? And you can be incompassionate. You can be sarcastic about it a little bit. That's why I was trying to be careful. You know, don't misinterpret Jesus' sarcasm with the Pharisee, the lawyers of the law, the teachers of the law. So many people are thinking completely different, they're blind. They're in the dark. That's why the name of this series, uh, I, for me, it's, it's, it's Raid the Darkness. We got to go on the offense because how many folks in your life do you know who are just completely disconnected like this? And maybe they know lots about the Bible. Maybe they're going to church still. Maybe they grew up in church, but they're just completely missing the whole thing. They think they believe. They would even say, I believe. Nicodemus, I'm certain. He, he falls in that category. Well, 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 of course. I mean, I know all the stuff. Oh, I think, it's a, I think it's a big deal here. Now, look at verse 13. Because... Well, let's look at verse, excuse me. Let's go to, go to verse 10. And I want to skip over verse 10 because this is where Jesus is a bit sarcastic, right? That a teacher in Israel doesn't understand this. And then he says in verse 11 that the problem Nicodemus has is that even though he's hearing reliable testimony from Jesus and other people, he doesn't receive the testimony. He's not among the those uh, described in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. So you can go all the way back to chapter 1. Remember, this is sort of this guiding 
way of writing and thinking of John, right? Chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he's given the right to become God's children. Children not born by human parents or by human desire or husband's decisions, but by God. Then in chapter 3, verse 12, Jesus says, I've explained it to you as far as I can explain it, Nicodemus. All right? Chapter 3, verse 12. I've told you people about earthly things, and you don't believe. How will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? That's verse 12, right? In effect, he's saying, you keep pressing me, Nicodemus, for deeper explanations of new birth. But a heart of unbelief is unregenerated. Is that a word? It's not regenerated. It's not a regenerated heart. It hasn't been made new. And it can't embrace the kinds of truth that I have to give you about new birth. Now in verse 13, things totally change. Before verse 13, Jesus is talking about the process of, of the new birth. It's spiritual, Nicodemus. It happens by the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And after verse 13, he's talking about the foundation of the new birth and what the Son of Man has come to do. And so he tells Nicodemus how to receive the Spirit's work of the new birth. Now, this is key because we get to peer into the life of Nicodemus and his journey right here. And it's good for us to observe because there's so many people who are on this same journey. I will not forget being a, a, a pretty young uh, youth pastor and uh, having a student who was in high school, or actually was in college, uh, a really sharp guy, very, um, very smart, kind of intellectually driven. And um, he, was a, he was coming to, I think he was coming to, uh, some of our youth meetings and stuff for college students. Uh, I think he was coming because of the girls, actually, right? But he had questions, and he was the kind of guy who, who declared, listen, I'm not going to believe any of this until I read it all and get my questions answered. I'm going to read the whole Bible. I'm going to study it all. I, want, I got all these questions. I want them answered, and, 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 if, and if I'm fully satisfied, then, you know, then I, I'll, I might make a decision to believe. And I remember kind of walking through this with him and walking through this with him. And it wasn't very long after that when uh, actually just being in relationship with a bunch of people that really loved the Lord, uh, somebody told him their story of how they came to know Christ, just gave kind of their testimony. And it really shook him up and it rocked him and it changed his life. And, and he came he surrendered his life to Christ. I will not forget, this is the part I won't forget. He came to me later and he said, Pastor Ben, he said, it, it's unbelievable. You cannot believe what happened to me. I've been reading the scriptures and reading the scriptures and just trying to get all the answers and get all the answers. And it was just like, just wasn't sinking in. It just whatever. He goes, I don't know exactly what happened. But as soon as I said, as soon as I gave up and I just surrendered and, 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 and I said, Lord, I am sinful. I need a savior. He said, it's amazing what happened to me. He said, his exact words, it's, it's, it's like these blinders just came off my eyes and I could, I'm reading the scriptures now and I'm going, oh my goodness, how did I miss all this? 
I can see it. I can see it. But it, it, it took somebody's story of transformation for him to kind of give up and surrender, right? So, Nicod- so Jesus tells Nicodemus how to receive the Spirit's work of new birth. He says, this is what you got to have. Look at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus' favorite term to uh, use for how he describes himself, the Son of Man. God's Son sent to earth to be a man. In other words, the reason I could give you heavenly explanations, Nicodemus, is that I've come down from heaven. No man's gone into heaven so that he can do what I do. I was in heaven with the Father, and I've come down. And now I'm going to tell you what I came to do. And this is the key to answer your questions. How can you be reborn, Nicodemus, or born from above? I'll tell you how you can enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying, right? So what is the son of man? What did he come to do? There's more obstacles to your entering the kingdom of heaven than just your need to be reborn again. Nicodemus, something has to happen to remove the wrath of God so that he will release the power of the Holy Spirit to cause you to be reborn. That's what the son of man came to do. Let me tell you about this. And so Jesus chooses an analogy to explain what he came to do that Nicodemus would be familiar with because he's a student of the Bible. He's read the Old Testament. He knows all about it. So he goes back and he chooses a Sunday school story like a flannel graph story. You know, when you're a kid. Did you ever experience one of those flannel graphs? Your Sunday school teacher used one of those? They're so awesome. I don't know why we stopped using those. They're so great. They're fantastic. That's that's what he does, actually, with Nicodemus. It's that familiar to him, right? But it's shocking that he would pick this story to describe his own work. I think it's shocking. Look at verse 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Seriously? A snake? Really? Yeah. Comparing himself with a snake. It's shocking. That's what he does. Jesus does it. He compares himself to a snake. Now, let's go back and read the story that Jesus is referring to. I asked you to turn to Numbers chapter 21. I'm not putting it up here, so you have to go. I'm going to force you to go by your, you know, on your own. Pull the Bible out. They're there. Or on your phone or something. Or look over somebody's shoulder. Numbers 21 verse 4. So here that God's chosen people are in the desert. They're moving around. They're having ups and downs, that's for sure, okay? So in verse 4, you just kind of get into this scene where God is very intentional with these folks, all right? He wants them to trust him. And here it goes in verse 4. Then they traveled from Mount Hor by the road to this Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. 
But the people became impatient along the way. Imagine that, people getting impatient on a journey. Verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Have you ever been the one driving the car and everybody's all uptight at you? Right? On the journey? Here's what they say. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread or water, and we detest this worthless food. You know, this food that you keep giving us every day. We got to eat that same food. I'm, we're tired of it. Verse 6. So the Lord, <laughs> he sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit the people. Many people of Israel died. We know all about poisonous snakes here in Tucson, right? Verse 7. Then the people came to Moses and said, <laughs> all of a sudden they wake up, right? We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Moses, would you pray to the Lord that he would take away the snakes from us? So, I wouldn't it be great to be Moses in this spot. He doesn't say, I told you so, big complainers. Moses prayed for the people. I like it. Verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, make a poisonous snake and set it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he'll live, verse 9. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole so that if a snake had bitten someone, when he looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Isn't that a fascinating story? It's an awesome story. The way God chooses to rescue the people from his own curse is a picture of the curse itself. I want you to just notice a few things. I think they're really worth pointing out. If you're taking notes, these are big, all right? A, the serpent on the pole is not preventative. That's a key word there. It is forbidden people, verse 8. That's big. You got to notice that. The poison is in them, and without God intervening, they die. So when they get bit, then the poison's in them. And if God doesn't do anything, then they die. That's the first thing to point out. The next is the snakes in the camp are from the Lord. He sent them, verse 6. Right? The wrath of God is on these people for their sin of ingratitude and grumbling and barking and complaining and rebellion. It's right there, isn't it? And before you're too hard on these people... Remember, I mean, this is us. Come on. They shouldn't have to connect all those dots, right? Here's the next. The way God chooses to rescue the people from his own curse is a picture of the curse itself. I pointed that out already. And last, all they have to do in order to be saved from God's wrath is look at what he's given them on a pole. Now, We know that Jesus read the Bible and he knew the Old Testament knowing that it all was pointing to him. There's so much prophecy. There's so many stories. There's so much foreshadowing, right? And illustrations throughout the Old Testament everywhere. But this is the one he is choosing to utilize here. And it is shocking to compare, I think, the Son of Man to a snake. I think it's stunning, actually. He goes out of his way to choose it to help Nicodemus. So he says, back in John chapter 
3, verse 14, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, there's five things here that I I think there's more, but I'm going to point out five things to see. Remember, this is, isn't this what John wants us to do? He wants us to see some things about Jesus, to truly see him. So number one, Jesus is the son of man. man. People aren't getting that. Jesus is the son of man who is lifted up on the cross the way the snake was lifted up. He identifies himself as the son of man in John chapter 9. So you're in the gospel of John. Turn over to John chapter 9 and look down at verse 35. There, there's an awesome story there where Jesus um, heals a guy who is um, uh, blind. Jesus asked this man when he comes across him, right? He had heard, it says Jesus had heard that they had thrown him out. So he's being like um, scrutinized by the Pharisees again, all right? And they throw him out, they cast him out. So, so he found the man and he says to him, do you believe in the son of man? The man replies, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus told him, you've seen him. He's the one speaking with you. So when Jesus speaks of the son of man being lifted up, he's talking about himself and his own crucifixion. He's speaking to you, man. Oh, Nicodemus would, he'd be, I think his eyes would be like this big. Because here's the next thing to see here. Jesus is the source of eternal life. Jesus, in the place of the snake, is the source of healing, the source of rescue from the poison of sin and the wrath of God. Jesus is the source of eternal life. Moses lifted up the snake, but Moses isn't the rescuer in in, in the way Jesus sets up the comparison. Who lifts up the Son of Man on the cross? Who does that? The Son of Man must be lifted up. By who? There's only one place where the lifters, so to speak, are identified in John's gospel. They are the Pharisees. That's John chapter 8, verse 28. You can flip there. John 8, 28, then Jesus said, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. Who is the you though? According to John 8, 13, it's the Pharisees. The Pharisees stand in the place of Moses. So Moses is not being treated as the rescuer, a savior In Numbers, the one who saves is God by way of the snake. And in John, the one who saves is God by way of Jesus. This is why Jesus uses this illustration and allows himself to be compared to a snake. That's what's so stunning. Snakes are, nobody... Who likes a snake? Who likes a snake? People freak out over snakes. Snakes are scary. I don't want to be bit by a snake. You know, snakes are never on the offense, by the way. They don't just run around looking to bite you. Except for in this story. They only bite you when you aggravate them, when you back them in the corner. 
but, but you know, we know all these things. But the, the, a snake, seriously, right? So here's the next thing to see. Jesus is a picture of a curse or a picture of the snake. Jesus in the place of a snake is a picture as evil and a curse. This is what's so stunning. The snake is evil. The snakes are killing people. The snake on the pole is a picture of God's curse on the people. So it was with Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is, this is awesome. This may, helps us make sense. It says, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. Just take it a one step further in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from what? The curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The snake's the curse. Wow. In becoming like a snake, he was the embodiment of our sin and the embodiment of our curse. And in becoming sin and curse for us, he took ours that we deserved away. So Jesus gives eternal life and what he gives us from the cross is eternal life verse 14 and 15 now read it just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life when our sin and God's wrath are taken away God's for us, isn't he? And if God is for us, we will not die but live forever with him in complete satisfaction. Here's the last thing to see. Jesus crucified is the one then that we see. Isn't that what John wants us to do? He wants us to see Jesus. So all of this, he is saying to Nicodemus, He's telling Nicodemus all of this, who was really confused about new birth and how it happens. This is what you say to a person who's not reborn, who doesn't understand. They're not born from above. Why? They're dead and they're blind. They're in the dark, right? And because God will open up the eyes of the blind when they have something to see, like a compelling picture of Jesus crucified for poisoned, sinful people like you and I. Isn't that magnificent? You don't even have to get to the most famous Bible verse in all the Bible, do you? I think this is actually more important. And she should probably be more famous. It's all right there. Right up to verse 15. And what should you do, Nicodemus? What do you do? Believe in him. Look at verse 15. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That's what you're missing, man. Right? What does that mean? What does it involve? Why are you comparing the snake and the pole? It means look to him. The grace of new birth is in seeing Christ lifted up. That's where all the grace enters. So hold still. Don't get up. I don't care what your responsibility is. 
What's this have to do with me? Look up and live. Look up and live. Who needs to look up and live? Who's dying? Who's in the dark and needs to live in your life? Maybe it's you. Remember John 1, 14 and verse 16. It's, it's, it's what you got to keep going back to through this gospel. It is connected deeply to this story. Now, the word became flesh and took, res- took up residence among us. We saw, keyword saw, his glory the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth who came from the Father. For we all have received from his fullness one gracious gift after another. How come? Because they saw. They saw. John saying we saw the glory, his glory. He's lifted up on the cross. And in that look, we received grace. Nicodemus, do you want the grace of new birth? Look up and live. Look up and live. Number one, what's this got to do with me? The grace of new birth is in seeing Christ lifted up. Isn't it? It's exactly what John wants us to see. This is his point. Number two, John saw his glory as Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And in that look, he says, we receive grace. That's where you get it. That's how you get it. And number three, do you want the grace of new birth? Now you know how to get it. Look up and live. Look up and live. That is so sweet. That is so awesome. I think this is such an important story, isn't it? Can you now think about how you can connect your story to this story to help people see Jesus? Thank you, Father in heaven, for this magnificent journey with Nicodemus. And we just scratch the surface, I'm certain, Lord. But I'm praying, God, that as we continue to journey through the gospel of John, that we would see Jesus so differently than maybe we have been seeing him. I love all the stuff that he can do. That is certain, Lord. But... We want to really truly see him in all of his glory because it's the grace that we need. I'm praying, God, now that you would utilize us as a church, as a people, Christ followers, families, men and women and young people, children, I'm praying, God, that you would use us to help raid the darkness. All kinds of people are blind, disconnected, don't see, don't understand. Utilize us, Lord, in our story. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.